Growing up in Canada, we have what is called CanCon, short for Canadian content. When it comes to music, more specifically radio, it means that a certain percentage of content aired must be Canadian. This percentage has only increased with each decade where it is now at an estimated 40%. This rule was established in the early 70s when Canadian music, for the most part, was found to be largely ignored by programmers and audiences alike. Forcing stations to play Canadian music, forcing the public to listen to Canadian music, was, in theory, supposed to foster awareness and spark interest in homegrown acts. And while many bands ended up benefiting from the imposed rules, our band included, it still felt like it was done under duress. Even when domestic bands get the support from their country, without the help of enforced regulations, the support seems almost out of patriotic duty. Maybe that's me and my natural glasses-half-empty disposition shining through here, but it's a lot like sports. If you were born in Toronto, you were automatically a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. If you were born in Boston, you are automatically a Red Sox fan. If you were born in Italy, you automatically root for Italy in the World Cup, and so on and so on. There's an automatic allegiance there that comes naturally. And we can all name bands that are so big inside our respective countries, but are virtual unknowns everywhere else. Being the big fish in the little pond has never really appealed to me. And I employ the same attitude as a music fan. I cannot, for the life of me, get behind a band and call myself their fan simply because we are both from Canada. Deep down inside, I know a lot of people force their own hands to like something domestic, but because they want to be supportive. A very nice gesture. A very nice position to take. And it's quite Canadian to do so. Unfortunately, I can't fake it. If I don't like the band, I ain't going to buy what they're selling. So it was with much delight, pleasure, and genuine surprise that when while growing up, there was a band that blew me away. And we're not only from my hometown of Toronto, but my home borough of Scarborough, Ontario, which eventually merged and became part of Toronto proper. I'm talking about Sacrifice. When I heard that Sacrifice was from Scarborough, a band whose records I had bought and were putting out these records on Metal Blade, I was again blown away. I couldn't believe anything so cool could come out of this giant wasteland that seemed to house strip mall after strip mall. But now, when you look back on it, Scarborough did have an indelible mark on pop culture as we know it. The famous Mike Myers character, Wayne Campbell from Wayne's World, is based on the Scarberian heavy metal rocker that, let's face it, Scarborough became known for having a lot of. Mike Myers knew this because he grew up in Scarborough. Coming from a place that yielded both Sacrifice and Wayne Campbell, is it any wonder how I turned out like I did? Scarborough is much different now than it was back then, but one thing remains. My fandom for sacrifice. Even though it wasn't out of any Scarberian allegiance that brought me into their fold, now, when traveling abroad, touring in my own band, I wave the flag for sacrifice any chance I get. If someone knows we're from Canada and mentions sacrifice, they automatically have my attention. It could be Cindy Crawford standing in front of me, but if someone behind her was sporting an old school sacrifice t-shirt, 
I would first look over her shoulder to figure out who, who it was wearing the shirt. This past February, Sacrifice played the Inertia Entertainment 20th Anniversary Show in Toronto. The Opera House, a venue I've seen many shows in, was packed to the rafters. It was a very special night for me because I got up on stage with the band and sang Motorhead's Iron Fist. It was more than just a guest spot appearance. For me, it was a full circle moment. Probably the one time I ever walked on stage and afterward came close to waterworks due to the heaviness of the moment. It's funny, you can travel around the world and be accepted on many stages in many scenes, but it's always your hometown scene and the people that made that scene that you always crave acceptance from. After that night, I earned my stripes, and no matter what anyone says about me or my band, nobody, and I mean nobody, can take away the fact that I sang with sacrifice. It is not just a feather in my cap, but rather a plumage in my cap. That night, when I left the venue, I was walking on clouds, adrenaline still pumping through my veins hours later, reliving the moment over and over again until sleep took me. This episode is with Rob Urbanati, singer of Sacrifice and member of a band, much like last episode's 135 with the guys from Death Angel, a band that means more to me than just the music, but whether they know it or not, encouraged me, inspired me, gave me incentive, and became the example that I followed. And I hold them in part responsible for me doing what I do today, being in a band myself, playing music. Even to this day, my path is crossing with sacrifices in a way I hadn't anticipated. We are in the middle of recording our new album with none other than Eric Ratz, who, of course, co-produced the Sacrifice album Apocalypse Inside in 1993. One thing I want to mention here, this talk with Rob happened after the Calgary Metal Fest, which was billed as a historic night of Canadian metal with Annihilator, Exciter, Razor, and Sacrifice all playing together for the first time, put on by Big Nate Productions. For legal reasons, the festival wasn't allowed to use the title of Big Four when addressing these four bands together. Rob and I mention this on the podcast and go one further and say there's actually a big five in Canada, which would include Voivod. But here, in the intro of this podcast episode, I want to go even one further and say there's there's really a big six if one was to include Malhavik. Anyways, this podcast is supported by Skull Candy Headphones and Blue Mic Microphones and Chino Locos Restaurants. When I want a fish burrito, I want it stuffed with chow mein noodles. And if you are listening to this on either iTunes or SoundCloud, please leave a rating or a review. It helps the podcast's profile, especially on iTunes because we were recently um, uh, spotlighted as a, uh, in the What's Hot section on the iTunes store. So it works. So please leave a rating if you can. Okay, here we go. Rob Urbanati is this episode's guest on the official Danko Jones podcast, and it starts now. The Danko Jones podcast is the best around. Nick Flynn, I get his Danko screw up, tell him for free. I'm so glad I like to sometimes. Jimmy in from Fox Town, stop playing Hang Town. What? What did you just say to me? You don't want to listen to the Danko Jones podcast. Well, fuck you, my man. You want me to take my fist and shove it up your ass? 
Because I will. Don't you dare say that shit about Denko Jones. Man, his podcast is the best in the whole world. Did you hear me? The best podcast in the whole fucking world. Listen to the Denko Jones podcast. Listen to the Denko Jones podcast. If you have nothing, now you have something, something to do. Listen to the Denko Jones podcast. Listen to the Denko Jones I began to notice that Danko was completely nuts. He'd suddenly start making weird sounds and scary faces for no reason at all. And it, it wasn't just embarrassing, it, it was alarming. And now since I'm a devout Catholic, I asked my local parish priest about Danko's condition and he was sure Danko was possessed by Satan. So I helped my priest perform an exorcism on Danko that very day, but it didn't work. The dude is seriously screwed and according to my parish priest, will burn in hell for all of eternity if he doesn't get himself checked out. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready, because the Danko Jones Podcast starts! Rob, it's great to have you on this podcast. I know you and I have been talking about doing this for... A year over a year like probably yeah <laughs> yeah and then what got like it didn't remind me but i just was kind of like fuck i should get my ass in gear is i saw your tweet and it was to promote the calgary metal fest that just happened and you were on another podcast um what was it uh getting hard uh, getting hard in nate's backyard that's right yeah and so uh i was like Fuck! I was supposed to have Rob on last year, so I listened I to the podcast. The same thing, actually. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Fuck!" And so I downloaded the episode. I listened to the episode, and uh, it was really great, and it was funny, and and it was very informative. And and uh, so I guess my next question is, how was the Calgary Metal Fest? Oh, it was amazing. It was really, really cool. Is I guess something that everybody kind of wanted to do and other promoters have, have talked about, but it just um, didn't really come through um, with with various bands. But, you know, the core, like, you know, I guess Razor and Sacrifice are usually always mentioned in there. So this finally happened. And, yeah, like even I talked to Nate after the show and he I think it was Nate said uh, Dave Carlos said that was probably his career highlight doing the show and it was it was great for everybody involved i think i i I think um i heard what ended up happening was i went back and i trolled some of the older episodes and i did listen to the dave carlo one and which is very hilarious 
Um, but uh, it, it seemed like you were having a blast because I was watching the tw- your Twitter feed and you were taking photos. Like, were you guys on last? Uh, no, no, no. We were on. Uh, we were on second. Oh. So, but yeah, I was having a blast. Like, I mean, you probably saw I tweeted like exciters in the middle of uh, best sound check I've ever seen or something like that. And it was like it made me so happy. You know, they're one of those bands that I didn't think I'd ever see like the original Exciter back together. And they're a big band from my childhood, obviously. And, um, you know, I I told the story on stage like I was probably 15 years old watching them at the concert halls right up at the front, like right in front of John Ricci. And like I I was it was kind of hard for me to contain myself when they're you know, doing violence and force. They did about half the song and sound check and they stopped. I just yelled out fucking right. You know, it, was, wow. it was pretty amazing. So yeah, it was, it was great for everybody. I hope, I hope this guy, Nate does it again. Cause it, it was, um, I think it's, um, it just gave some sort of real authenticity to Canadian metal, um, and pride, when these four bands get together, got together from like, I think people are calling it like the big four of Canadian metal. This is what I've heard. Yeah. He um, was somehow not legally allowed to say that. But, wow. Um, that's crazy. People were pretty much calling it. Well, for me, I mean uh, the big four, I mean, you can, inc- you can swap in a couple of other bands in there as well. So they can have the title big four, but maybe the big five, would be good yeah, like, like voivod voivod would be yeah. yeah that would be for me that would be the one that i would say throw in voivod next year and uh holy shit i might be fucking having to take the flight over <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's a lot of happy people that night for sure bands included yeah i could feel that it was a very kind of um almost like a high school reunion kind of vibe i would i would imagine well it's it's always like that when we play with razor because you know, we've got so much history with them. We played with them probably more than any other band. And mm-hmm. um, we're really good friends that don't really see each other that often. But it's really like when we get to like we were sharing a room backstage and stuff. And it's just like we've never, you know, no time has passed when we when we get together with those guys. And it's always amazing to hang out with them. You know, we we miss those guys. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I understand. And to hang out. Exciter was cool too. To sorry, you broke up there. You to hang out with with Exciter was really cool too. Yeah, and it's interesting that um, it comes at a time when Annihilator is actually very active in Canada. Um, so that was good timing. Yeah, I don't think they like. I mean, they've been concentrating in Europe, I guess, and uh, haven't played in Canada that much. But I guess they're everywhere they're playing. They're drawing quite a bit. So yeah, they've. I think they're rediscovering Canada. Yeah. And I think, and um, I think it just had to like take some time and things come around again. And I think there's a renewed interest in Canadian metal. Um, And when you look back, you go, wow, like these bands maybe never achieved the, the success of like a, a Metallica or a Slipknot or whatever, but um, they're timeless records that, it was very interesting to hear the episode with Dave Carlo because uh, Nate brought on this Uber Razor fan, and then Dave goes, "How old are you?" <laughs> and the guy goes, "I'm 26." And this guy was going so deep 
into the razor catalog that like Dave had to ask him, like, 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 who are you? And so I think that with the, with the uh, advent of the internet and just the ability for anyone to quickly find out about the whole sacrifice catalog or the whole razor catalog, um, they can really kind of be put up, bring up to speed as to who all these bands are. You've, you've got this renewed interest now, I think maybe I'm wrong, but I feel it in the air. No, it's true. Like we get the same thing. Like I, I'll, I'll be talking to somebody at a show and, uh, they'll be saying the same thing, like going way back and knows all kinds of info and asking me about things I've forgotten about. And I'll say, how old are you? And it's, it's, it's the same thing. And you meet guys all the time that, you know, actually at the show, I met that guy who's there with his dad and he's like, yeah, I, I love sacrifice. You know, my dad got me into the bed and it, things like that happen all the time. And um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing is I, everywhere we go, when people find out we're from Toronto, it's like, well, a lot of the times we get, we get the whole, you know, oh, you like Rush? You know, that's pretty much a standard. But we do get a lot of, like, have you heard of Sacrifice? <laughs> <laughs> and that starts a conversation, you know. And I remember at Vakken, we played Vakken, and I love going to the metal um, uh, shopping area. They have this metal f- market mm-hmm. area. And there's like, I don't know if I should tell you this, but I got a sacrifice patch there. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter where we go. There's like, geez, we're just down in Peru. They had better sacrifice shirts than we had <laughs> in the places. So, actually, the bootleg place had better shirts than any band's original merchandise, to tell you the truth. Yeah, I got also a sacrifice pin. Yeah, there's you can't stop. I mean, it's not we're happy that people are wanting to do that. You know, it's, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't phase us. That's cool. Sorry, sorry for supporting them, Rob <laughs> against you guys. <laughs> no, you support them all you want. Cause we don't have patches. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why I was like, wow, this is an, and it's orange too. Or very rarely we have patches anyway. Sac- the sacrifice logo is an orange. That, I have not seen that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I th- believe it is on my jean jacket now. Awesome. Yeah. I'm proud. And, um, you know, there's also, there's a few things like we could go over, but, um, you guys do still manage to tour quite a bit. Like, like we just mentioned the Calgary metal fest. It just happened. Didn't you guys play somewhere in Winnipeg or was it somewhere in Manitoba recently? Uh, we did a show. We did a couple across Canada last year. That was uh, we played Vancouver and Winnipeg. This year, for the most part, we're kind of stuck to only doing about three shows a year. Honestly, this year we've just done um, Toronto. We played um, Peru, and we did this Calgary thing. That's all we have booked for this year. How and, does uh, how does Peru pop up? Like Peru's. Like that isn't really, we've never played Peru and I know South America is such a vibrant metal scene, but how does like a Peru get in touch with sacrifice? Well, usually it's through, they'll contact one of the guys through Facebook or something. We've had like, I don't, I don't know why, but South America has always had really intense, crazy sacrifice fans all over the continent. 
and uh, especially on the west coast of South America. And we've been offered shows quite a few times. And um, this time we said, yeah, let's let's do it, you know. And we talked to, I think it was maybe uh, our manager, Sean, talked to Caton from High Rocks. He's saying, yeah, this promoter is amazing. You guys have to do it. And and we're really glad we did. It was a really great experience. It treated us great down there. The fans were amazing. The show was amazing. Um, Lima's a beautiful city. And yeah, we had a really great time. It was actually one of the best times we've had as a band going away. I and I, that's the thing you mentioned, Caton. Like, that's another band I see going to South America all the time. But I think Caton has really pushed Hyrax forward as a full time thing. A lot of people don't realize abroad that you know Sacrifice is a band that's in like three different places in the world. So it's not yeah. as if you guys can get together and jam every Friday or something. Yeah, there's basically Gus and me that live here, and uh, Joe's in Detroit, and Scott's in Vancouver. So, you know, we keep the base solid here. We Gus and me jam uh, quite a bit, and you know, make sure we're tight. So when the other guys come in, uh, it's it it doesn't take long for us to to get it together. I mean, they're practicing at home. You know, they're making sure they know the songs before we get to wherever we're going and yeah it doesn't take long to get it together but it does make it difficult for us to do these shows you, you know like last time back in february i i uh you mentioned that to me before that like you and gus are always at your space even though joe and scott are you know in different parts of the continent okay so you run through sacrifice material but do you end up like writing riffs that are completely original and completely new that might not even be for sacrifice, like a completely different project between the two of you? Uh, not really, but usually our rehearsal consists of, we set up and I'll plug in and, uh, we'll just jam for <laughs> about an hour, like not playing anything other than what's ever on the top of our heads. And every once in a while, I'll bring my little zoom mic down and I'll say, stop, stop, let's record this. Um, and there's there's times where we'll, you know, go off into like a more like rock direction or it, we're just jamming. But none of it is re really going anywhere other than we'll take the odd part here or there, record it and, you know, make a song out of it. So there's no side project or anything. Yeah, that's the first thing that popped into my head when I heard you say it back in February. Yeah, we've thought about it, but it it's been, we're trying to focus on getting some kind of EP together, and there's always a show coming up, and it, it, we don't have that much time to rehearse. Usually it's a Sunday, you know? You know, leading up to talking to you, I uh, contacted Craig, Craig Rose, mm -hmm. and uh, I go, yeah, I'm going to be talking to Rob in a couple of days. And I go, I will not ask him about a new record because that's probably the last thing he wants to talk about. <laughs> but you, you brought up the EP. So I've heard that thrown around before. I think I even heard it on Nate's podcast. There is kind of an EP that you're, you guys kind of want to get off the ground right yeah we're just w waiting for you know that divine spark to hit it's uh we have stuff written but we're at the point like we don't want to release anything unless it's really moving us you know we, we have some songs like 
I'm going to lie, like there's some pretty good stuff, but I always say until we get to that song where when we go to rehearsal, that's the first thing we want to play when we get in the room. You know, right. that's when we know we've hit it. Yes, and, I, 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 I understand that feeling. Yeah, for sure. And we're at the point, too, we don't really need to release anything. You know, we're not a touring band. We don't need the, the touring cycle um, record out kind of thing. And we have our back catalog that stood up for, you know, 30 years or whatever. So we don't really need to. If we're going to release something, it's because we want to. and We want people to hear it. It's not just because, yeah, here, let's put this out kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I understand. Like, um, you guys are in a situation, uh, much like Metallica, is anything new that they release or you release will be put up against albums that everybody has been listening to for decades like 20 years even so yeah um, you know how do you compete with something that you've been listening to through your whole life experience like oh this thing followed you through high school through through your first job your first girlfriend you know that kind of those kind of like experiences and then you put yeah. out something new and you're like how do you live up to that so i get it yeah, that's the whole thing. It's, uh, you know, how many times have you heard a band that's been around for as long as we have and they'll put something in and you're like, that's okay, you know, and we don't want that. We want you to put it on and say, this is awesome, you know, it sounds like sacrifice. Well, when uh, Joe sent me, he sent me one kind of demo thing from uh, Ones I Condemn. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess that was back in 08. Yeah, it could have been. Yeah, or, uh, my, yeah, it was probably around then. Yeah, I think he sent me like just a little clip. He goes, "Hey, check this out!" Like, and I got. I remember. It was in Bergen, Norway. We were on tour. It was in Bergen, Norway. I got Joe's email. I heard the track. I was in the dressing room in the club. We went on stage. We did sound check, and uh, we wrote a song on stage because I was so pumped. <laughs> That's amazing. I swear to God. And I can tell you the song. It's a song called Full of Regret. We did a whole video for it. Lemmy's in the video. And that opening riff was on was was written on on the soundcheck stage in Bergen, Norway, after Joe sent me a little clip from uh, I think it was Hiroshima, like off Ones I Condemn. Uh, That's amazing story. I, 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 I can't forget it because I was so. I was like so um, inspired, like pumped. I I know the feeling. I get that all the time um, when it, it can come from a movie, even. Yeah, like it was it was weird because uh, I just started playing the riff, and then we all just started jamming on it, and then we got off stage, and uh, a couple of people in our crew were like, uh, "Don't forget that riff. Whatever you play, don't forget it. You should record that right now." I was gonna ask you that. How do you? do that at soundcheck and not forget it. I well, when when we all kind of look at each other that we're on something good, now with, you know, iPhones and stuff and voice memo apps and stuff, one of us or two of us will whip out our phone and just record it. That's what we've done. And in fact, on this new record we're working on, we kind of hit a wall writing songs at one point and we needed one more song and then JC sent me this voice memo from soundcheck uh actually that was in norway too but it was on our last tour of this riff that we were all jamming on at soundcheck 
And we wrote the song for the new record like months after we had forgotten about the riff, but he had recorded it. I always find, I don't know if you get this too, but uh, that when you're at that point where you need one more song and you're having trouble, that last song usually turns out pretty good. It might take a bit longer, but it usually comes out all right. It's so true. And this new album we're working on, it's funny because Eric was just like, ah, like, you know, you guys, I think, he, you know, both Eric and JC were feeling we need we needed two, two or three more new more songs. And I think those were the best songs we wrote at the end. Cool. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. Oh, can't wait, man. That's the connection we have right now doing our new album is Eric Ratz produced or co-produced uh apocalypse inside with dave carlo yes sir i think it was actually rats it might have been his first album he did i think yeah it or the first album he like got producer credit on or something yeah yeah there's that it was weird how we found him too we were in a rehearsal building and there's a band down the hall I think they're called Mind Rape, and they did a demo, and we were saying, this sounds pretty good. Who did it? And uh, they said, this guy Eric at Phase One. We're saying, oh, Phase One? Yeah, we've recorded there before. So um, that's how we picked him. (laughs) (laughs) And then since then, he's done... Well, he's he's done all kinds of stuff, yeah. All kinds of stuff, including Cancer Bats. I saw Scott today, and you are on a Cancer Bats album. Yeah, uh, and the song's called Rats, believe it. <laughs> yeah, that's what I always wanted to know. Is that Does that kind of have to do with Eric or like what? I don't... The lyrics are pretty harsh, and I hope not. No, I, I might have <laughs> said something about that, but uh, yeah, was, uh, I, I said you should spell it with a Z or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, that was actually the first time I'd seen Eric since probably since we did Apocalypse Inside in 93. I think I did that Cancer Bats guest thing in uh, it was probably around five years ago or so. So it was quite a bit of time between there. Whoa, wow. Yeah. Well, that's the thing about Apocalypse Inside is, um, okay, so going back to South America, Marquee Records out of Brazil, mm-hmm. they, re- they reissued the first three Sacrifice albums on vinyl did Apocalypse Inside ever get a vinyl reissue? Actually, they did CD. They didn't do any vinyl. Uh, oh. Um, Apocalypse Inside did come out on vinyl. Uh, I, the name of the label is, escapes me right now. I think they're based out of Italy, and they did a really tight pressing. Like It was only, uh, might have been uh, 500 or 1,000 copies. Oh wow! But that was the only time time it's ever been pressed. Yeah, on vinyl. That's interesting. And did you say when it came out? Like fairly. It was about two years ago. Oh crap! Yeah, I gotta I gotta track that down then. Well, I'll see if I have two. I'll give you one. Oh, that. (laughs) (laughs) But I might only have one. You never know what you find in those like metal markets in in Europe. That's. That that to me is like Disneyland. 
Yeah, you see, that's the thing. Know. For We've only played once in Europe, so we haven't really got to experience that as much. Well, you know, I, you guys should be playing those metal festivals. Of course, it's your schedule. It isn't anything else. Because I think if, if your name was bandied around, I think, and you guys had the time, I think you could fill it. But, of course, everybody's got, there's four different lives going on. So yeah. I, I get it. I get it, man. Well, it's not like we don't get offers. You know, we do get offers. It's just uh, timings, everything with this band, unfortunately. Well, who who reissued those albums then on vinyl? Because I've oh, I... that was war. Sorry, that was War on Music. Uh, they're based in Winnipeg. Oh, gotcha. Okay, I'm I, okay. I'm getting confused, but I get. I gotcha. I gotcha. For some reason, because I I I mean. Sean reached out to me like five years ago about about the forward to termination liner notes, which I wrote, and I was so honored to write them. Um, but I never, I don't know, did they ever get released or? They're going to be. Oh man, I can't wait. Seriously, <laughs> yeah, can't wait. Yeah, uh, Cyclone Empire out of uh, Germany is going to be re-releasing them, and yes, finally that will see the light of day. That's amazing. Yeah, finally. It's I know it's been a long time. Sorry, Danko. <laughs> I think well, no, it's fine. I mean, every few months I'll I'll email Sean going, "Hey, uh, what's the update on that?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I basically want like I just want to see it. I just want to like ha- hold it in my hands. Um, yeah, I do too. <laughs> yeah, it'd be it'd be cool. Um, but yeah, anyways, I mean that's great. Uh, things to track down and and at least they're you know doing this podcast with you. Usually, or or doing the podcast with people, oftentimes they have things that they want to plug or promote. I could use that as something to promote for you. Like there, there is stuff coming out. Yeah, I know, and I'm the worst one for plugging stuff because I can't even tell you the details on a lot of it. <laughs> I'm terrible at it, but um, it's just cool to talk to you nonetheless. Yeah, and is isn't it weird that we're both in Toronto talking on Skype? <laughs> I know, I know, it's so lame. I I know, I don't. <laughs> I don't get out much. Well, I, I did. I did eight hours of. I did eight hours of guitar today at at Vespa, and my ears are shot. So, I'm so like I'm. You know, I can't really. This is the best way to do it at, right now, anyway. So. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I I know. I it's, I find the studio completely draining. It's especially once you get to the vocal part, you get home, you're just done. Oh, I ah uh, yeah, you know. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. But the rhythm guitars are the yeah, those are easy. And then Yeah, that's that's fine. That doesn't take much out of you. Once yeah. you get the vocals going, that's it. Ugh, yeah. How many can you do in a day? In terms of vocals for songs, I think I could do like 2 a day. Yeah, or I'm a, about the same. Cuz the the way Eric does it, he he pretty he works you really hard. And uh I, I mean, I can't do more than two, I don't think. So, and we're heading into vocals like around October. So, you know, the weather's getting colder. You know, guitarists and drummers, they don't get it. But, you know, for vocalists, it's like, fuck, it's going to be cold come mid-October. And my voice is going to be, it's just, you know. When it gets dry, too, I find that affects me. Yeah, especially the way you sing. I mean, people probably go, oh, yeah, you just got to scream. But actually, 
you need to take care of your voice even more. Yeah, it's even I, I don't know if this happens to you, but if we're playing somewhere and there's say there's some band playing a club the night before, I can't go. Oh, you know, no. I want to because more than yelling, screaming, anything, talking above music in a cloud or cloud, a crowd destroys my voice more than anything. I can't do it. I can't do it. That's why I usually am. I'm. I'm, it seems like I'm a diva while I'm on tour because I don't hang out with the – if we leave the bus or the venue, I don't go out if I don't have to because I got to preserve my voice. But our crew understands. Everybody knows the routine. It's like, um, you know, I'm the first to bed because I got to get my eight hours, you know. Yeah. So. I know it sucks being the singer, right? It really does. I mean, if you <laughs> really want to have a, a good time out on the road, I don't think you anyone – should be a singer then you know yeah i mean you get you get the sniffles or something it's you have to you have to get on stage and do it no matter what you know it's and it's it's tough yeah Uh, like if you get a cold or the sniffles most people just go oh i i think i'm coming down with a cold but for for singers it's like absolute terror yeah it's torture yeah yeah i just you know that's my biggest fear, actually, before we go to a show, because we, like I said, we play so few shows as getting sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the big thing for me too. I, I uh, that's why whenever we travel, is like the guys will be wearing a, oh, they'll have a a long sleeved shirt on, and I'm wearing a coat with a scarf. I yeah, look insane. I'm bathing in hand sanitizer all day long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's basically it. <laughs> Yeah, like that's the thing, and and you can't complain about it because they just go, oh, just look, what's what what's the problem? <laughs> yeah, I know they don't understand. Nobody understands. And I know too when we get together, like you know, before Calgary, we get together in the rehearsal room when we're there, and it, I take it really easy on the vocals before the show. Right. I'm just I'm just doing it to make sure I remember the lyrics and stuff. And I can see sometimes the guys are worried, you know, is Rob but I'm just, they know I take it easy before the show. Once I hit the stage, they're okay. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. You, if, if there was any hangers on or any people who are just dropping by to check it out, they'll be like, Oh, I don't know about tonight's show. They don't understand. They don't get the whole process of it. Sometimes it's like banging your head against a wall. Yeah. But as long as your crew and your guys, everybody around you is on the right page, then it's all cool. Yeah. Sometimes I'll just, I'll go out and at rehearsal and just give them at least one song of a good performance and just, just to put them at ease. You know, when I when I started singing like this when I was 17 or whatever, I didn't think I'd still be doing it at 49. Yeah, and you, you just need <laughs> more care for your voice. Exactly, yeah. And that's, there's a, speaking about shows and reunions, I have to make mention and thank you guys. I mean, I can't believe we've talked this long without me doing it. I should have said it right off the bat, but... Uh, getting to sing with you guys this past February in Toronto at the opera house, uh, for the inertia 20th anniversary was, uh, a dream come true for me. Oh, uh, that was, that was really cool for us too. Uh, and I don't even remember how that came about. We, I think we were just playing iron fist at jam. I, I think one of us said, why don't we ask Danko if he wants to sing this with us? Cause you know, the Lemmy thing just happened and you know, just seemed 
seemed like, you know, it, it was right. Oh and yeah. Yeah. We were, we were happy you agreed to it. And it was, people are always ask me about that, you know? Yeah. That, Cause and I talk about how amazing it was and stuff. Actually that podcast that you mentioned, I did with Nate, we were talking about it on there, I think too. I heard it. Yeah. Yeah. After you told me, uh, to check it out, I was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. But his surprise is I think what a lot of people at the venue were sharing as well is like, what the fuck? I don't understand how these two worlds are colliding right now, but, um, no one booed. So it was, it was, it was, no, I think most people know what, uh, intense metal fan you are. So, (laughs) you know what I mean? And, and I, I don't, everybody I know likes music, you know, whether they're into grave or they're into refused, you know what I mean? Right. You're, you seem like, you know, you're loved across the board. So, well, it's nice to know that. And it was a good feeling after I got off stage that like people were pretty receptive to it. And, um, that's the thing is I find in metal these days, you know, younger people get, you know, they get so intense about this new thing that they found that they need a few years to like settle back and go, well, rock and roll is cool too. And I think it takes a few years for new metal heads to like get into the rock, you know, sometimes. And then they figure yeah, it out. Yeah, I, I actually went through that myself when I was younger. You know, I, I grew up obviously listening to classic rock and Kiss and Van Halen and, right. you know, then, you know, evolved into Maiden and Priest Motorhead and, you know, eventually on to heavier things. And once I, I think I got into the Venom area, I think I, I let go of the classic rock for a little while. And, but it, I mean, it wasn't long before I came back to it. Yeah. It, it's, it's pretty much my path as well. When I was, when I got into metal, I just got in so into metal and then punk rock and then, and then I let go of metal for a few years and then got back, really got back into it. So, you know, it just, things go in cycles, I think. Yeah, I think it's pretty common with with the metal kids. Yeah, I, I'm just I'm just glad that you know there's there's enough of an openness in in the metal scene to allow for you know rock bands to at least get on stage and sing one song. <laughs> yeah, well, so. I mean, it's a lot. I think people are a lot more open to different music now than they were back in our time. Yeah, it was yeah, it was a lot more hardline. But that the, that morning that I sang with you guys, the morning of, I actually was at the hospital um cuz I cut my hand open and I needed five stitches. So oh. I was I was like, is this what kind of omen is this, man, for tonight? <laughs> <laughs> um so I had I had my hand wrapped and I was like I couldn't shake people's hands, so I felt really like awkward and weird, but um when I was on stage with you guys and I had this hand wrapped and I was, I was singing, holding the mic with my left hand. I was like, fuck yeah, man. I bled for metal tonight, today. <laughs> I, uh, I bled today to get here. <laughs> man. I remember when you came in to do that at rehearsal, you just kind of came in and, and took off quick. And, um, yeah, we were all like, Oh my God, it was amazing. <laughs> oh, I would do, I would do it again. And I would, I would like, 
man, I was I was so hyped. I, I was so nervous and so hyped when I went to to the to the rehearsal space with you guys. Well, I guess we kind of were too, you know, but we knew it would we knew it would be great. Well, I, I mean, I think I gave Gus's wife my phone. Yeah. And I was just I was just like, yeah, please take as many photos of this as you you can possibly take cuz I just this is such a moment for me. I remember being up there thinking, I hope someone out there, I was kind of scanning the crowd a couple of times. I hope somebody's taping this. <laughs> <laughs> I I was too. That's what I was hoping for. And there's some really great shots from like pro photographers that I saw online. I think BWBK posted it online. Yeah, I saw a few of them too. Yeah. yeah. And there's a great shot that Amy, uh, Joe's wife, took of Joe, myself, and Brian Taylor, when you guys were about to go on, I think uh, Noel was was talking and they're doing the whole inertia 20th anniversary kind of speech and presentation. So the three of us were looking on and uh, she took a photo of the three of us. And that photo is so I was like almost I, I had a frog in my throat when I saw it because being I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. Being sandwiched between those two guys to me was just like. It was super heavy. Um, and of course, when you're there, you don't really see what's, you know, you're not really aware of well, a photo can really kind of cement uh, a moment. So yeah. it was really kind of like, holy shit. And then when I got off stage with you guys, I was nervous because I didn't know how it really went down. And there was Brian and Junior were were like, great, great, great. Well, there you go. That was great. And I was like immediately put to rest, uh, put to yeah. put. I was immediately calmed and I was like, great, good. I can at least walk out of here without being pelted with like fucking, <laughs> you know what I mean? No, we were, we knew that that was not going to happen. I knew you had a little bit of worry about that, but we knew that was not going to be the case. <laughs> oh, man, I was just yeah, it was. But it was. Oh, man, that was such a night. I was yeah, like, it's always special playing in Toronto. I, I I guess it probably is for you too, but yeah, because we so seldom do, you know. And when we do, we always end up bringing out people that we haven't seen for for years. And uh, like you said, Brian Taylor was there. He yeah. was he was hanging out with us the whole night, and it was great to see him. The you know he he was a uh, a big part of our youth, you know, <clears throat> like. Uh, well, I don't, I don't know if Sacrifice really would. There's a few people I don't know if Sacrifice ever would have done anything, but he, him definitely, he got us in the studio. Yeah. Did our first demo, did our first, you know, first three albums. He, he, uh, we used to spend every Friday night at his place listening to, uh, new albums that came out. And, you know, he's just a big part of our lives. Uh, and, and for me, he, he is a big, like he is a big presence for me in Toronto. And I think the fact that I can actually like go <laughs> when I see him, I can actually go up to him and we can chat. If I was to tell like, you know, the 15 year old me that I would d be able to do that with that guy behind the counter at the peddler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would have gone. There's no way in hell you will get to that point, <laughs> but it's, I, it's just so cool. And uh, I think when I, I saw him at your show. I was like, I think I said something like, you're here. Wow. Because, like, I don't think he ever goes to any shows anymore, you know? Well, he doesn't live in Toronto anymore. Oh, right. Yeah, that's right. 
he doesn't yeah. really live that close. So, I mean, it's hard enough for him to come to work, I guess, and to get him out uh, to see a band. You know, it feels pretty fortunate when you get Brian <laughs> to your shirt yeah. as you go, you know? Yeah, like, uh, it's it's amazing. And I still remember the moment when he started to talk to me like I wasn't like a maggot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen him talk to a lot of people like that. <laughs> Um, I, and I, I remember I walked out of there going, holy shit, that was amazing. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, it was, it was such a heavy moment for so many, like that night was like, wow, like a heavy moment one after the other. And then when you go to a sacrifice show in Toronto, you inevitably, you know, run into people you haven't seen for years. So yeah, I always say it's like the high school reunion for old metal guys. <laughs> yeah. It's, it was really, it was a really special night. It was cool. And the fact that it was at the opera house and, you know, I don't, I, I mean, I don't go to too many shows locally anymore. And, um, you know, I've been to, I, I used to go to a lot of them at the opera house when I was younger and that whole night I was like, wow, I, I, I feel like I'm 17, you know? Yeah. Like, it was weird. I hear that a lot actually. And I, I feel like that too, actually, when we play, feels yeah. like time stopped in 1988 or something. Yeah. We're at, we're all the Sibony. I, I felt it, it, there, it was also another heavy moment was, um, having Joe's, uh, family watch him side stage. I thought that was pretty heavy. That was really nice. That was cool. Like right beside her, uh, her dad. And you know, it's like, it's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. My daughter was there as well. It's, oh, it, the really? Whole, whole family was there yeah she i think uh, my daughter was on the other side of the stage from from joe's kids right yeah um i think she was by the monitor board but yeah it's it's special and she'd actually seen us play uh the last time which was like 2009 she was pretty young then but she's my daughter's 17 now so um yeah it's it, it's amazing to, to be able to you know get her out and watch us play like it must, it must, it must be thrilling to watch like kids just go nuts over your dad singing, like where they're thrashing about. Is she into like heavy music or? Yeah. My daughter, she, her musical tastes are pretty much all over the board, but, um, I guess from, from growing up with uh, me as her dad, you could put on any metal album. She'll be able to tell you what band it is. What song. <laughs> uh, so yeah, but she, she likes metal. She likes, you know, she, she likes all kinds of stuff. She likes old jazz. She likes, you know, Amy Winehouse. She, you know, she, everything she's, she's got a lot more varied music taste than her dad does. That's for sure. <laughs> right. But I think it's, that's such a heavy moment to like, especially at a show like that, where everyone is just, like frothing at the mouth to see your dad play is heavy. I mean, yeah, I, that's something that's weird. We've never really talked about. I don't know how she feels about it other than, you know, she just thinks it's cool to see your dad play live. I just was watching Joe's daughter and, and I was just looking at her while you guys were playing. And I'm like, this must be so heavy for Joe to like be able to show, you know, it's not just something he like, it's not a scrapbook filled with photos going, I, you know, I used to do this. It's like, it's right here. She's of age where she'll remember this and it'll make an impression and people are going batshit crazy over him. You know, like it is, it's heavy. 
Yeah, I think that was the first time Mackenzie had seen us play Joe's daughter. And, right, uh, yeah. Gus's daughters were there as well. Um, oh, so- that's right. Yep. I, I remember Gus's daughter was there. And Gus's daughter's older, too, right? She's like in her teens. Yeah, his two daughters were there. I Yeah, they're about, I think they're around 18, 19. Can't say for sure, but around there somewhere, yeah. Yeah, so everyone's kids are old enough that, you know, this is going to, this is going to stick out. It's a memory that they won't forget. Yeah. It's cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it feels pretty, pretty good when you're a parent and you can do that actually. Yeah. Cause I remember in 06, the, the re the sacrifice reunion show, um, we had a gig on the 401 and I realized once we got into the van and we were driving home that you guys were wrapping up and I missed it. Oh. Um, so, and that was in 06. So that was like 10 years ago. So maybe, maybe not everyone's kids were old enough to remember that properly. Right. But now they can. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 2006, my daughter was too young. I think all our kids were probably too young. Yeah. To go to- yeah. So now it's like, wow, like, you know, every, everyone can remember this. Yeah. And it's not the same. Like, I mean, I'm, sure they've seen videos of us playing on youtube or whatever but it's not the same as when you're actually there and you can hear it and feel it and all that other stuff yeah it's like going to a sports and an actual like hockey game rather than watching it on tv exactly yeah Yeah. it's like you can smell the air you could you know yeah it's just it's wild i mean you don't even have to be into sports and if you go to a hockey game or a basketball game it, it you are engaged like you you don't know who's who, but you are interested and it blows you away. And yeah, the sounds and all that stuff. Yeah, it's a lot different. Yeah. So, yeah, I was just like, I, 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 that's, that's what I walked away from. I'm like, that must be so fucking heavy, <laughs> you know, to watch that and uh, then just go home. And, then, and not just actually the show, like, you know, we're backstage with Brian and my daughter said, Oh, you're Brian. Like, cause I've, she's always asked me, I tell her stories about this and that. And she knew who he was. And, and he's like, you know who, <laughs> you know, <laughs> she, she knew. So that was the first time she'd met Brian. And, uh, yeah, he actually, I think Brian, you know, cause he'd known us since we were such, you know, young punks and to see us now at our age and, you know, he, he actually said to us, I'm glad you guys all turned out okay. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, it was a really, really uh, crazy experience that night. Yeah. All right, Rob, thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, I, once again, thanks for having me. Okay, Danko. Thanks, Rob. Good night. Have a good one. Bye, later. Bye.